Bom 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 that's right, I said snowing because here we are and all we see is a winter wonderland, meaning I wonder what the hell we're going to do today. It's cold, it's snowy, nobody can drive, people are shoveling, myself included. Kids are cooped up in the house, which means that they're bored, and usually that means I have to put college football on hold for just a little while. Yeah, you know, my uh, kids aren't old enough to complain about being bored yet, but they sure as hell show it. So I'm eagerly awaiting the study to come out that says that watching YouTube on a tablet increases brain development in toddlers by 50%, just so I can feel good about my tactics of keeping my sanity in the house. So, And and, and on that note, the this question was posed to me by the wife. Um, I don't know about you, Chappie, but my kids will watch YouTube videos of adults and kids playing with toys as opposed to playing with them themselves, um, you know. And so my, yeah, exactly. And so my wife brought to me this philosophical question. She said, what's the difference about that and what you do? You just sit around and watch other people play football every Saturday instead of actually playing it. And and I was left stunned, like like Tyson in the Buster Douglas fight. Didn't really have a good answer to her. Uh, can I just chalk that up to wives being wives or does she have a valid point here? No, no, that's uh, – I, I love you, Mrs. Chapman, but that is so far from valid. It's it's almost borderline nauseating. Um, I mean, we're talking apples to uh, turds there, really. Um, good. Know, just wanted, just wanted a sanity check there. Yeah. No, you're, you're good. Um, she needs to go back to the drawing board on that one. <laughs> so, well, since most of us can't or don't want to go out, why not just have yourself a bowl full of chips today? I am Chappie. And the, in other words, the college football slappy. And I am joined as always on strict invitation by my man, my co-host, and of course, my brother, the Bip. Bip, how the hell are you? Well, considering this is our first big snowfall of the year, I can't really complain. And since uh, all the on-the-field football has been completed, I'm ready and roaring to go to discuss all the off-the-field action that's been going on uh, so far this offseason. Yep, this is the point in the year where so many thoughts come to your mind about what do we talk about? What can I look at? It's almost like there's an information overload. And the hardest part for BIP and I is really zeroing in and narrowing it down to things that are more relevant than others. But of course, to two college football slappies like ourselves, everything is relevant. Everything deserves to be talked about. But, you know, then there's that logistics issue that goes along with that. Right, BIP? Absolutely. (laughs) So, For those of you who are new to A Bowl Full of Chips, we love college football, we love to laugh, and we also love movies. Isn't that uh, that something that helps you keep your sanity that you referenced earlier, Bip? Yeah, I mean, between uh, January and late August, that's really what uh, keeps me going when uh, I I just can't quite uh, watch any more baseball or hear anymore about uh the pointless nba season that goes on until the playoffs <laughs> yeah yeah street ball with uh official uniforms right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's you know to me we're going to touch on some of our favorite football movies on, on this podcast today uh, but before that we're going to get into something that's even bigger in the past couple of weeks 
the the big trend with college football on the Twitter sphere and online is early top 25 polls. So Bip and I today are going to look at our assessment of which teams are too high, which teams are too low. And that's going to lead us into our next podcast of giving you our top 25. But of course, it's, it's always fun to look at what others have put out and constructively critique. But we're also going to get into football movies, which will be kind of a, a here and there segment on our podcast from here on out up until the games start again, which Bip, I don't want to break your heart, but we have 31 weeks until the start of the college football season when Arizona kicks off off the mainland out in Hawaii. So just let that sink in for a moment. If you need a, a tissue or something, go ahead and grab it. Yeah. Did I just hear you right that there's a lifetime between now and when football kicks off again? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, if, if, if this is what purgatory is, then uh, I, I don't know what else is. So. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so we're going to get into our favorite football movie characters. Bip and I have taken this week outside of our, our busy schedules as if we're really important people. And we, we came up with our roster of which football characters, whether it be from high school, college, or pro settings in football movies, we're going to look at which players we would want on our team, almost if we had a, a schoolyard pick of all these fictional characters and what they brought to the field in the movie. Bip and I are going to tell you who we want. First off, though, we want to get our Twitter handles out there for those of you who feel the need to have more content to support your college football appetite. Of course, we give you a bowl full of chips, but if you need more than that, and if the bag runs out, we've got that for you. So follow us on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit. And I'm at BFC underscore BIP. So give us a look on Twitter. We, we talk about more than just what we touch on here on the podcast, not just college football, but uh, various rhymes of humor here and there as well. And speaking of Twitter, we do want to give a shout out this week to a, a Twitter site that follows college football. They are at CFB ranking. Again, that's at CFB as in college football. I know football is one word ranking. They share good and pertinent college football news as well as putting out questions and rankings and try to get the fans to interact. So currently they're tweeting out schedules and prognostications and opinions to see how you, the college football universe, via Twitter, um, feel about the Power 5 teams and how they'll fare. So we encourage you here on Bowl Full of Chips to give at CFB Ranking a look and follow on Twitter. So a little bit about us. Again, we are a Bowl Full of Chips, and we are the podcast that gives you more than the mainstream potties do. We'll throw out details at you, and we back our claims with research. We don't have any political or occupational agenda. We don't work for any of the big media sources that might be uh, putting their finances into a specific conference. We're going to give you our true opinions whilst trying to stay objective, but we're going to be both complimentary and critical wherever such revelations are due. And we're going to help you get past your off-season blues. Speaking of which, Bip, I saw that this is the month or the 20-year anniversary of Varsity Blues. Yeah, I think that uh, just about everyone touched upon that uh, on the actual day of release of releasing, um, you know, this and that about Varsity Blues, their favorite moments, um, talking about what kind of cultural impact it had. It was really kind of cool, a blast in the past to uh, um, kind of have that nostalgic look of what Varsity Blues was and, and what it what it meant to uh, folks, uh, you know, 20 years later. So. Um, yeah, later on we'll, we'll get into, uh, as Chappie mentioned, ranking some of our 
our top picks, if you will, of, of football movies, uh, if we had it our way of filling out our own fictional team. So pretty excited about that. Yeah, and I remember that. That was right when I was in high school, playing high school football. I believe it was right after my junior season, right before my senior season. And I'm not, I'm not trying to go Al Bundy on anybody here and uh, try and <laughs> hyperbolize any of the glory days for myself. My Sadly, my playing career ended at high school and rightfully so. But that was a movie that came out and, and it was really the first movie during my generation that touched on what high school football was like. And so uh, on, a, on an eventual podcast, Bip and I are going to take a closer look at Varsity Blues and touch on the things that we liked, the things that we didn't like. But we encourage you to give it a, a look if you're a football fan and you're looking for a good football movie to take in. We want to get now to our news and notes segments from this week. It's a new segment that Bip and I are going to start where each week on our Sunday night podcast, which usually is released on Monday mornings for anybody on many platforms, uh, we want to get to the things that happened this week, both related to college football, conference-specific, team-specific, player-specific. One of the things that we saw this week, Bip, was – Last Sunday, or actually Monday, was the final day or the deadline for entries into the NFL draft for the 2019 draft. And we had a record 132 players. In my opinion, a scary growing trend. So what we have here is we're seeing more and more redshirt sophomores, true juniors, who are testing the waters and diving in. And in my opinion, Bip, some of them are diving in with um, not a real sense of how deep the water is or not a sense of how clean the water is. I think some people are getting mm-hmm. false advice, false information. And as a college football purist, I would love to see these players stay for at least uh, all the way through their junior year. So this trend now of some redshirt sophomores, guys like TJ Hawkinson from Iowa, Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State, who are going into the draft, in my opinion, a little bit early. As a college football purist, that's not something that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. And if trends continue, it's only going to get bigger and bigger. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree a little bit. I mean, the list seems to keep oh, getting you. bigger and bigger. <laughs> the list seems to keep getting bigger and bigger every year, but I don't get too concerned with this because like most things, there's going to be a bubble and it's going to pop eventually to where it's going to regress back to the mean. I mean, these guys will eventually learn the risks and downfalls of being a, a sixth round projection and potentially not being drafted. And it's unfortunate that more of these guys don't stay because it's better for college football, but with just shy of, of uh, 11,000 scholarship players in the FBS, I mean, it's really small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. And and I think what was good for college football is what happened with the Clemson D-line this year, um, how you know the majority, if not, if not all of them, would have been first or second round picks. They come back for their senior years. They win a national championship, and most of them, if not all of them, improve their draft stock in doing, you know, in the process. So, hopefully, that that sheds light on more of these kids. Um, I kind of see the the lure of wanting to make a buck as opposed to staying in college. But well, um, sure, who wouldn't? Yeah, so I, I'm not overly concerned about it, but I could see your point of view of wanting to have as much talent stay as possible and, and having more of the Peyton Mannings in the world uh, as opposed to, like you mentioned, the Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, and I'm not so much bent up about juniors who are leaving or guys who have been in a college system for three years. So whether they're a true junior or a redshirt junior, which means that they've been there for four years, 
What I don't want to see in 10 years is college football turn into what college basketball has become. And it's just a one and done sport. And you've got guys who are literally enrolling for one semester. They play because Mm -hmm. the football season literally goes from the beginning of a college school year to the end of the first semester. Or in some cases, if you go into quarters, you know, you're playing two quarters. Um, I just don't want to see this one and done. And, you know, maybe that's that's a far way off from here. But with the almighty dollar speaking, you're going to have some of these underprivileged athletes who are coming to play college football and seeing the the green at the end of the tunnel and jumping and then all of a sudden realizing, okay, I didn't get drafted. And not only selfishly does it potentially hurt the sport of college football if you are running the risk of guys playing one year or maybe two years and being done, which means they could leave after their sophomore year or after their redshirt freshman year. I, I just I've seen what it's done to college basketball. And I used to be a big college basketball fan, as others that I've talked to. And this whole one year and you can leave thing has really been something that's hampered that sport, in my opinion. Yeah. And the nice thing about college football is that, you know, you have a team of 85 scholarship players as opposed to what college basketball has of what the 12 to 15. And in college basketball, you can tell who's ready to go pro and who can jump immediately, who's physically ready. And you don't really have that with college football. I mean, you have the the Adrian Petersons, the Leonard Fournettes, and now people are, are discussing should Trevor Lawrence sit out the next two years? I don't think seriously, but just mentioning that that's a possibility. But by and large, college, you know, pro football is a whole different monster than than pro basketball to where, you, you know, even if you have a, a LeBron James type, um, you're still not physically ready uh, jumping out of high school or even after your first year um, of college. So I, I, I like that college football has that physicality and, and the pros continue to get bigger, stronger, faster, uh, limiting the ability of a push for, um, you know, people the the decision makers to be saying well maybe we should lower the age to two years or one year out of high school yeah and uh you know again my fear is that it's going to go back to the almighty dollar and there's the big buzz about well we're, we're concerned about player safety in the nfl i'm going to call bs on that because you you're already having nfl teams who are drooling over a guy like trevor lawrence saying okay let's get the talking heads together and let's put together some sort of bogus proposal to, you know, throw out some skewed numbers and say, well, it's not as bad as it seems. And it's, you know, it's their decision and and we're going to waive any sort of liability from that. So it'll be interesting to see that over the next 10 years. I agree with you. I don't think it's, it's a big concern for right now, but you know, with as fast as things trend, especially now with everything going on and and how everything is expedited by the internet, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, for sure. Next part here. I, sorry to cut you off there, Bip. We're going to get to the next part here, and that is Tate Martell to the U. And I think okay. – I don't know if you called this or not, but this certainly seems to fit. I mean, here you got a guy, anybody who watched QB1 Under the Lights, great program, by the way, on Netflix. Tate Martell was one of the three quarterbacks who was highlighted on there. He's in the lights of Las Vegas, Nevada, and – what is as close to Vegas as you can get? It's South Beach. It's Miami. And Tate has already said, I'm going to lawyer up and I'm going to make sure that I do everything I can to see the field this year. What do you think about that, Bip? Do you think he should be able to play this year? And do you think that his lawyers and his team will get him eligible to play this year? Because that's going to be a huge boost for Miami if they get him. 
Yeah, I, I think there's no way that he should play this year. Now, whether he will or not is up in the air because there's been some paper-thin uh, excuses that have gotten guys eligible. Uh, just depends on how good his lawyers are and where the NCAA wants to fall on this one because if they allow this to happen, they're setting a dangerous precedent for yeah. any reason for any transfer of a high profile regardless of whether it's quarterback or any other position, yeah. but quarterback, especially if it's a high profile guy and then the university is really wanting him to get in. Um, it's just a matter of, do you fall back on your, your precedents and your, your principles, or do you go towards what's going to be more exciting for college football? I think that's what the NCAA is going to have to answer um, as it relates to Tate Martell, because there's no hardships that he had to face, uh, at least that I know of. Uh, basically, it boils down to he felt he couldn't beat out Justin Fields, who, yeah. um, and, and you can argue whether Justin Fields should be immediately eligible this year as well. Right. Um, but, you know, I think, the, the fact of I don't want to compete shouldn't be the reason as to why he's immediately eligible for Miami. Well, that's the thing. I don't know. I haven't heard what Tate Martell's backing is. I don't know what his stance and his reasoning is. I've heard the stuff about Fields. And I think if the allegations are true, that there were racial comments that were made and that's what brought him away from there. I understand that. I still don't think that he should be eligible to play right away. Um there were some people who said, well, these racist comments were made a long time ago. So if it bothered him that much, why did he wait until the end of the season when he was waiting, uh, perceptibly anyway, he was waiting to see if he could get more playing time and he just couldn't get around Jake Fromm. And so by the end of the season, he was fed up and said, OK, I want to take my talent somewhere else. Going back to Tate Martell. I, I have not heard anything, let alone anything good, as to what his reasoning will be to, to make the claim that he is immediately eligible. And I've also heard there's been some players like, for example, Luke Ford, who transferred from Georgia back to the University of Illinois, uh, the state where he comes from. And there's been his reasoning was, well, I want to apply to become eligible right away because I've got a sick family member. And I understand that. But um I, I don't, and, and this is not me trying to be insensitive, but I don't think that a sick relative is any bearing for why you have to play right now. I mean, you can transfer back. If anything, your reason for transferring is you want to be close to that family member. So their health is not going to be better by you playing right away. Uh, it's a nice benefit, but, uh, you know, I think that the transfer rule should still apply. You should have to wait and play. Uh, and obviously there are some circumstances where a player would warrant to be able to play right away. If, if there was some, like with the Ole Miss situation, when there was a lot of bogus stuff that went down and a lot of it was not the player's fault or even Penn state when that whole, uh, disgusting, mm -hmm. uh, event transpired, but, you know, sick relatives or things that, you know, sticks and stones, people said things that, uh, were uh, not to my liking. I, I don't know that that's grounds for immediate playing time because we all see the writing on the wall. It's these guys want to play right away so they can improve their draft status and get to the, the big show a lot sooner. And nobody wants to have to sit out a year, but that's a decision that you make when you, when you make that choice of where to go. And sometimes that just happens. You know, I mean, if I, if I start a new job, um, I may not be working at the same pay grade right away. I may not be eligible for some of the same benefits that I was right away at my other job, but I just understand that going in because uh, that's a change that was made on my own volition and not because I was necessarily forced out for any reason. Yep, completely agree. 
Well, the other one uh, to finish up news and notes here, Jalen Hurts to OU. And I've already heard a lot of people throwing Oklahoma into the ring for national championship contender. People are saying, well, uh, Lincoln Riley has turned his last two quarterbacks into Heisman Trophy winners, and both of them were transfers. Do you think that he is someone, Bip, who has that magic, who can turn someone like Jalen Hurts, who is not known as a arid-out quarterback, can turn him into a Heisman Trophy winner and a first-round NFL draft pick? I, I'm not overly impressed or haven't been overly impressed with Jalen Hurts. I, I took a deeper dive into the numbers, and he actually did show pretty good improvement from his freshman to his sophomore year until he was replaced last year by Tua, obviously. And and even when he came in uh, in relief of, of Tua, um, he, he actually looked pretty impressive. Um, however, I, I still don't think that he's going to be the completely arid out type. Um, right now, he's the third favorite to uh, win the Heisman. His odds are 9-1 to one behind Lawrence and Tua. Yeah. I really don't see that. I really think that um, I, I really like Lincoln Riley as a coach, and I think that he could put him – I think Jalen Hurts puts Oklahoma in the driver's seat for winning the Big 12 again. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that he's going to be that Heisman-winning quarterback. I think uh, what's going to happen more so this year is – Hertz has never really been in in many dogfights, and and that's kind of what you get with Oklahoma football, both when Baker Mayfield was there and with Kyler Murray. Uh, That defense just isn't good enough, and you get in more shootouts than what he's used to at Alabama. That'll be the most interesting thing to me is, can Hertz go toe-to-toe with these high-powered Big 12 offenses, and can he outlast the opposing offenses? I I, I don't think the answer is yes, but I do think that he – adds to Oklahoma's already, um, you know, driver's seat in the Big 12 this this upcoming year. Yeah, and I'm not knocking Jalen at all. I think he's a very good quarterback. He actually had a higher completion percentage than Tua did, believe it or not. I think he completed about 73% of his passes this year. Um, but you're you're someone who follows recruiting, college recruiting a lot closer than I do, Bip. Um, with Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray was one of the higher – recruited quarterbacks coming out of college and he was a big get for Texas A&M. Um, oh, yeah. Jalen was not, uh, at least comparatively speaking to, um, to Kyler. And I get it that Baker Mayfield is kind of that diamond in the rough. And I think his story is outstanding. It's one of the best stories in college football history, but you know, when people are comparing Kyler Murray to Jalen hurts and saying, well, okay, this is apples to apples. I, I just don't buy that. No. No, I, I don't buy it either. I mean, Kyler Murray was the high school player of the year coming out of high school, right. uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Jalen Hurts was a good recruit in his own right, but he's he's definitely a step below uh, what Kyler Murray what Kyler Murray's potential was. Yeah. So I, I think I think Kyler Murray definitely had a higher ceiling, and if anyone can bring the ceiling out of anyone, it's Lincoln Riley. Sure. But I wonder if Jalen Hurts' ceiling has already been met. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see him uh, keeping the ship right in Oklahoma, but I, I don't. I don't see him coming close to uh, what Mayfield and Murray accomplished at Oklahoma. Well, OU fans are certainly going to help. He's going to uh, raise that ceiling or raise the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's the white boy in me. Well, we're going to get right to the big part of our show now, and this is what Bip and I have been looking forward to for a couple weeks, and we would have brought it to you sooner, but. Like I had touched on earlier, here at Bowl Full of Chips, we want to make sure that we take the time to do our research the right way. Some of these 
early top 25 polls were come out where they had deadlines to meet and their editors said, okay, we need a top 25 to start 2019 and we need it like in two days. And I don't think that you can adequately, adequately go through all of college football and see who's there, who's leaving. And, and we purposely waited until after the NFL draft declaration day to make sure that we could go through and, and we get a, a full holistic look at where the teams are as of right now. So today, January 19th, we're going to give you our uh, assessment of some of these early top 25 polls. And so we looked at the ESPN poll, the Athlon poll, the 24-7 sports poll, CBS. Uh, there was about four or five different polls that we looked at. And so, Biff, we're going to start with you. Uh who do you think are the Snoop Dogs of the uh, early top 25s? In other words, who is too high for, for these polls right yeah. now? Um, first team that I went with uh, is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Uh, they seem to be the darling of just about every sports writer going into the 2019 season, and rightfully so when their they're head coach is Scott Frost, and they had a relatively young team. Uh, they do return a good amount of talent. Uh, they lose Stanley Morgan, they lose Devin Ozigbo, as well as a couple offensive linemen, but they return the majority of their offense, and, and Martinez should be even more comfortable in the offense this year, so it'll be exciting to see how he develops, especially in that offense. But defensively, you, they, is, they... Martinez is one of my favorite guys to watch, and uh, it's tough for me to say that as a Northwestern follower uh, playing in the same division, but man, that guy is just good. He's he's smart. He's got good feet, and and he's got an arm. I mean, he doesn't have a huge arm, but it's good enough to run a Scott Frost offense, the new spread offense, and and he's going to be uh, the cog that really turns that offense this year. Yeah, for sure. And defensively, they they do return their leading tackler, but they lose Luke Gifford and four other starters. And I think they can get to seven to eight wins this year, but I think they're still a year away from cracking the top 25. They might make some noise, and I I could definitely see them having an upset or two this year in the Big Ten. I just think that they need another year um, considering – um, how their season went this past yeah, year. The, the biggest thing is that defense has got to get better. So who's another one for you, Bep? Who's another team that's a little too high? This one was uh, probably the easiest selection for me, and that's the Washington Huskies. Um, now, they lose Miles Gaskin and Jake Browning. Uh, they also lose their both of their starting tackles on offense. They, they do get uh, Jacob Eason filling in for Jake Browning, and uh, for those of you not aware, Jacob Eason, a former five-star uh, quarterback out of high school, got replaced by Jake Fromm. He is a very talented guy that can spin the ball. Um, yeah, however, mean, how good is Jake Fromm? He has made two five-star quarterbacks leave the program. I mean, so people who are going to say that Georgia's not that great and Jake Fromm is not all he's cracked out to be, I mean, I, I can't think offhand anybody else who has made – two quarterbacks of that caliber uh, leave so soon. Maybe Trevor Lawrence is the other one, but go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Um, now, uh, on the plus side, they, they return uh, three offensive linemen, and they get all of their wide receivers back. But yeah. defensively is where they they uh, lose a lot. They lose upwards of nine starters, including five of their six uh, first or second team all Pac-12 selections. Yeah. I mean, they they just eaten alive by attrition this year. Mm-hmm. I hate to put Washington on this list because I really like Chris Peterson. I like what he stands for. I like the way he goes about business. And, you know, it seems like 
Washington seems to lose a couple guys in their secondary that get drafted in the first or second round of the NFL, like just about every year, and they keep coming up with more and more. So they may prove me wrong here, uh, but I think that uh, when when they're being ranked uh, continuously between about uh, 8 and 15 um, to start the year off, I I think this is more of a – you know, prove it to me team than, than a team that I'm going to put my faith in. Yeah, I agree. And, and you touched on it. Their secondary, they are becoming DBU. Okay. Defensive back university, not the uh, pejorative term, but, um, the, uh, <laughs> you know, Jimmy Lake does a great job there with his defense. And that's the part, you know, I kind of had them as, as a team. I agree with you. I think that they're a little bit high to be ranked just because of all the, the losses they have on defense. But, you know, if there's a, if there's a coaching staff that can retool their team and develop their players, especially in that back end, it is definitely the Huskies. Yeah. And outside of that, I didn't have too many. There were a few that I thought that maybe shouldn't be in the top 25, but nothing, nothing really that I came away scratching my head with. Uh, but how about you, Chappie? Which teams do you think were ranked a little too high by uh, the various publications? Well, I, first of all, I want to tip my hat to you. I agree with you on both of those. I think Nebraska is... To me, they're kind of like, um, well, I guess West Virginia this year is, is maybe a bad comparison, but um, I agree. Everybody's looking at Nebraska as, okay, they won a majority of their second half games. Uh, so I think they finished the year winning four out of their last five. And everybody is still so in love with Scott Frost and what he did at UCF. But again, it's difficult to compare a team out of the AAC with a team in the Big Ten, especially when you're changing climates. It's easy to take track guys and have them run the field in Orlando, Florida, but then to do the same thing in Lincoln, Nebraska, when the uh, time changes and the season changes and it starts to get cooler and darker out in Memorial Stadium, it's a little bit tougher to have some of those track guys do everything you want to do. So, I agree that they're a little bit too high. I also agree with Washington, and we kind of touched on that. Um, Two teams I'm going to throw out at you, one as being maybe higher than what they should be, is the Texas Longhorns. I think that, you know, one big mistake that people make when looking at a top 25 for the following season is they look at how the team finished in their bowl game. And, yeah, Texas came out, and they punched Georgia in the mouth. And Georgia, that was one of the bigger surprises in bowl season. But here's my question about Texas. They don't have a very good run game, and they lost their leading rusher, Trey Watson. Their other rusher is their quarterback, Sam Ellinger. And when he was banged up a little bit this year, they were susceptible. They were not a dominant team. They won some games. But if Sam Ellinger goes down, Shane Bouchelle transferred, Cameron Rising transferred. Fortunately, this week they learned that Casey Thompson took his name out of the transfer portal. But, uh, you know, Tom Herman is kind of putting all of his eggs in the Ellinger basket. And, you know, the other thing is that that quote could come back to haunt UT, that we're back. You don't want to to say that. You want to just keep your mouth shut. And I thought that Sam Ellinger did everything right this year up until that point. So we'll see if that comes back to haunt them. Yeah, and let's not forget that Ellinger hasn't always been in the – best of graces in in Texas. I mean, he's kind of had a, a semi-up-and-down career. He he finished off his season real strong last year, so we'll give him credit for that. But Texas loses a lot on their defense as well. And, and 
Herman's done a great job recruiting, especially in the secondary. They're going to be loaded with young talent. Um, but in that uh, high-flying Big 12, you got to wonder how how much they're going to be hurt by losing um, as much talent as they did this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's what I had in my notes as well. Their defense was not that great last year. I mean, they weren't bad, but they weren't that great. They were 79th in pass defense. They lost both of their corners. They lost two good linebackers in Johnson and Wheeler. And then they lost one of their top uh, defensive linemen, Charles Omenahu. Um, so really we're looking at six quality players on that defensive, uh, you know, group and a lot of, a lot of publications and media outlets will look at starters. And I don't think that you can just look at starters. I, I look at production and I know you do as well, Bip. So it's not just the guys who lined up and got the start every week, because there are some schools who will start a guy because of political reasons or seniority, but then you end up having their backup getting uh, better stats and they get more playing time throughout the game. So yeah, Texas is one I'm going to keep my eye on. I've seen them, you know, right and around anywhere from, you know, numbers um, five through, you know, maybe nine. I, I think that they might be a little bit outside the top 10 going into 2019 to start the year. And again, I want to just preface and, and remind everybody that what we're looking at is to start the season. There's a lot of moving parts that can happen. And Dip and I are going to take a look at as things change, we'll kind of give you bi-monthly updates on, on the teams. And so after spring ball, we'll, we'll update this as well. So uh, let's flip to the other side, Bip. Who are some of the teams that maybe a lot of quote-unquote experts put them a little bit lower and you thought they should be higher, you know? Well, the first team I want to go with is uh, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Oh, you're killing me, but go ahead. (laughs) Offensively, they need to decide on a quarterback. Um, They had a couple uh, true freshmen and a redshirt freshman. Um, who excelled at times and also looked like freshmen last year. But they returned nine starters overall, including Tyler Johnson um, and then Ibrahim, their their starting running back. Um, Defensively, they returned eight starters, including Coughlin. And uh, it's a it's an extremely young team, which seems to be what PJ Flex uh, mo is when he takes over a team. is It's kind of the route that he took with Western. You you know he builds up a collection of talent, takes his lumps with some of the younger teams, and by the time you hit years three and four, you have a team that's full of upperclassmen with lots of playing experience and talent. I think the I think Minnesota could be one of those teams that surprises this year. But obviously, the key is going to be whether they get uh, not only good uh, play but consistent consistent play from their two quarterbacks. So uh, that was my, my number one surprise team. Let me stop you. Uh, I just want to, I want to chime in on that. I, I kind of had them circled and I saw that in um, the CBS top 25, they were put at number 23. Yes. PJ has got a, a young team and he's a great motivator, probably one of the best in the game. And I do like their quarterbacks. I, I mean, honestly, Anikstead and Morgan both bring a lot to the table, and I would be surprised if both of them are still on the roster next year. I think PJ's going to have to pick one of them, and I know that Anikstead was his guy. He got hurt. Tanner Morgan came in, but Tanner Morgan actually threw the ball better than Anikstead did throughout the second half of the season. Uh, they got a lot coming back on offense. I really like Muhammad Ibrahim. Can he have uh, you know repeated success, or will he fall into that sophomore jinx? 
my question though is they lose a lot up the middle they lose both defensive tackles oj smith and gary moore they lose um one of their inside backers uh blake cashman is the biggest loss on that defense and then they also lose yes, a couple sure. safeties so you know being so uh you know having to replace the the middle part of that defense especially in the big 10 where you've got to play good defense and the west is just so competitive this year I wouldn't be surprised if they cracked the top 25 at some point, but to have sustained success, I don't know that PJ's team is there just yet. They were one of the youngest teams in FBS last this last year. They played a lot of young guys. I think next year is the year where we should look at the Gophers to really get that boat moving and the oars flowing. But this year, I think that they're still getting guys settled in, getting everybody on their oars, rowing in the same pattern. Um, you know, my puns are, are, are awful. I, I get that. But, um, you know, it's just I just don't see Minnesota there yet. But we'll see. Yep. And uh, point taken. And, and I agree with you that the, the Big Ten West will be competitive. But I, I think there's a difference between competitively good and competitive. And I think Minnesota could be one of those teams that, that just breaks away from the rest of the pack this year, potentially, and uh, maybe gives a, uh, you know, challenges for a 9-10 win season. So, wow. but we'll see on that one. Um, you heard it here first again, from of Chips. If they get to 10 wins, it's uh, BIP, uh, at BFC BIP. Look them up. <laughs> again, this is the way too early prediction, so uh, uh, thoughts may change by the time we uh, hit uh, July, oh, August. No, no, but no, no. Uh, the, the rule is you have to lock it in now, so whatever you say now is it's gospel. Right. Uh, and, uh, the next teams. I'm sorry, to, to, just yep. to, to throw into our listeners, we, Bip and I personally, or uh, specifically, did not look at recruiting, did not look at schedule. So we are just looking at talent that's coming back to start spring ball, to start fall camp. Uh, like I said, once those moving parts get into order, we will update our top 25. Uh, various times throughout this offseason. So just kind of keep that in mind as well. We're specifically looking at what a team is bringing back. So this is how we're assessing to start 2019. So Bip, who's, who's another team? Um, I'm going to kind of lump, lump two teams in together here. Oh, uh, it's two teams that fall within the state of Florida, and, and it's more so about um, you know a, a comeback trail for them compared to last year's expectations, and that's the Miami Hurricanes and the Florida State Seminoles. Now, Miami, Miami had, uh, a, in certain metrics, they had a top 10, top 15, even top 5 in some instances defense last year, but their offense was just awful. They couldn't get consistently good quarterback play. Um, Travis Homer was really the only thing they had going on offense. They lose him, uh, granted. But uh, what they've been doing this year in the offseason is adding a ton of talent via uh, transfers. They get K.J. Osborne from Buffalo. They add a, a starting tackle from Butler. Um, yeah. They also get a USC transfer, Bubba Bolden, who should be eligible immediately. Yeah. Um, is, is, additionally, is Osborne going to be eligible immediately? I didn't see that yet, Bip. Uh, I'm not saying that he's not, but... I think so. I, I think it said that he was going to be graduating in the spring, and then he should have uh, he should be eligible immediately. Yeah, that, that's a big boost, uh, sure. And, and then um, they also get uh, Asa Martin, a uh, uh, running back from from Auburn. His is a little more questionable, similar to the lines of Tate Martell. Um, but uh, if they do get him and he's uh, immediately eligible, replacing Travis Homer shouldn't be too difficult right. as they'll have three of the top six high school running back recruits from the class of 2018 on their roster. So should be able to get that running game going. 
Um, they also had Dan Enos as offensive coordinator, and he did uh, an amazing job the last couple of years at Alabama with both uh, Tua and uh, Jalen Hurts. So the biggest question that Miami's going to have is, is is Tate Martell going to be eligible this year? Because that defense returns a ton of talent outside of Jeff Willis and Joe Jackson. They should be nasty once again. So if they can get even, um, you know, a, a – a marginal improvement on offense. They should see at least a few more wins this year compared to last year. And I really like them as being a, a top 25 team that can um, break into maybe the top 15, but when all said and done. So um, Florida state kind of in a similar boat. Um, now they similarly had a, an awful offense that was uh, to look, uh, kept in games with that defense that they have. Um, offensively, they lose three starting offensive linemen, but with this team, it's not necessarily a bad thing as that offensive line was just awful last year. Yeah. Um, they lose their top receiver, but they do return uh, to Maury and Terry and their next four receiving options. They also bring back DeAndre Francois, and then they uh, have Cam Akers returning, and then they get Kalen LeBourne uh, returning from injury as well as he was lost after the first game. So they should have a talented backfield, and I'm looking for Cam Akers to make up for the uh, really lackluster season that he had last year. Defensively, they lose Brian Burns and Demarcus Christian or Demarcus Christmas, which hurts. But they do return most of their other starters, and they have an extremely young and an extremely talented defense led by Marvin Wilson, Josh Kando, and Asante Samuel Jr. I mean, if you look at uh, their their depth chart um, towards the end of the season, they were playing a, a lot of underclassmen. Uh, that that got valuable reps. So as long as they can do a little bit to clear some of the cancer that was in the the locker room that they seem to have, and to you know turn into more of a functional football team, I really look for the uh, the Seminoles to get to um, at least eight wins this year, playing in that week ACC. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Uh, and, and again, I I agree with you fully on Florida State. It's the uh, the issues in the locker room and it's the leadership of uh, head coach Willie Taggart. So if, if he can start to bring everybody together and, and have them play for the spear on the side of the helmet, as opposed to the name on the back of the Jersey, I, I agree that Florida state is going to be a team that uh, will really turn things back around this year. Going back to Miami, I, I wrote in my notes, the big asterisk is Tate Martell and also Asa Martin. If those two guys can be eligible this year, this is a leaps and bounds better team than a lot of people are looking at Miami. And again, I think a lot of are, are kind of looking at, well, they got a new coach. Maybe they don't know what Manny Diaz can bring in. And maybe we don't know what he can bring either in terms of, you know, head coach leadership. Uh, but that defense is just nasty good. They, they have a lot yeah. of speed. They, they return a good amount of their receivers. And so, yeah, if Tate Martell is running that offense as opposed to Nikosa Perry, then I think that Miami is much better, especially playing in uh, a lot more manageable coastal division of the ACC. Hey, quick question for you. Joe Jackson and Michael Jackson both are going to be in the NFL draft. If they're drafted on opposite teams, do you think Joe Jackson beats Michael? <laughs> I can't see it any other way. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to clear that. Uh, so uh, do you have any others, Bip, or uh, were those the, the teams that uh, stood out to you? 
No, that's that's all that I had. How about you? Who do you see as uh, not being high enough? Well, I I actually found that there were more teams that I, I saw more potential in. And I don't like using that word because, you know, being around the Northwestern culture, I know that the P word is something that Coach Fitzgerald doesn't like using. And a good friend of mine, uh, Big Kurt on Twitter, says that potential is just a French word for doesn't amount to bleep. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what they can bring. But one that stands out to me is the Auburn Tigers. And here's my reasoning why. You know that they get talent down in uh, the Plains. And War Eagle is going to be flying, especially on defense. And Kevin Steele is one of the better defensive coordinators. They bring a lot back on defense. That's a nasty group, especially up front. Nick Coe, Big Cat Bryant, um, you know, Derek Brown up on that front. And then even in the back end, even though they lost Jamal Dean, they still have some good secondary guys. There's been a lot of buzz about their redshirt freshman quarterback this year, Joey Gatewood. Uh, people around Auburn are saying that he is going to be the next best thing at Auburn. And the other thing is, I, I think because Gus Malzahn is a little bit on the hot seat this year, he's going to have a lot more influence in play calling because we saw how great it worked in the um, in the Citrus Bowl against Purdue. Um, I think that we're going to see a lot more Gus influence on offense and you know, even though um, they they lose two of their top receivers, they're gonna they always get athletes down at Auburn. And Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz will will do well enough to get them through the non conference season. And then when they start up SEC play, I think that Auburn's gonna get back into things this year. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Gus Malzahn seems like the college equivalent of Jason Garrett in the NFL to where as soon as his hot seat is hot enough, that's when he delivers a good season to, you know, both both please and infuriate the fan base. And I think you're right. Uh, something else, Auburn returns most of, if not all, of their offensive line. So I look for improved offensive play from them. And I think that uh, the fact that they return the majority of that, um, that talented defensive front uh, should play for a nice season for Auburn this year. Um, Another one that looks good to me is the Arizona state sun devils. And I'll be honest, I was not on board with the Herm Edwards hire. I thought that it was going to be two and a half years that blows up in Arizona state's face, or it was just a comfort hire until they find the next hottest thing. But he exceeded expectations last year. They made a bowl game. And even though they lose their quarterback, they, they got a couple of, young guys coming in. There's also the possibility of picking up someone on the grad transfer market, but Eno Benjamin is lightning in a bottle at running back. And all you have to do is just be a serviceable quarterback. And with him behind you, he's going to give you big plays. Uh, Brandon Ayuk and Frank Darby on the outside are are really good as well to, to throw to. And they've got four offensive linemen returning on that group. Defensively is where they're going to be their best. This is a pretty good defensive group. Danny Gonzalez does a good job coordinating that down in uh, Tempe. But uh, Merlin Robertson was a, a freshman All-American last year. I think he led the Pac-12 in tackles, or he was in the top five at least. Um, so a lot of good things coming back for the Sun Devils. And um, I think that Pac-12 is going to be better this year holistically, but I think it's certainly going to be a lot more competitive and, and teams are going to have to look out for ASU. Yeah. And it, I know you mentioned that we don't 
look at the uh, recruiting rankings going into this, but uh, someone to look out for for ASU, like you mentioned, uh, at the quarterback position, Jaden Daniels. He's the number two rated uh, dual threat quarterback, according to uh, rivals. And he looked really good in the Under Armour All-American game. Looked mobile, looked accurate. He's in early for the spring, so look for him to potentially win that starting job and really give a spark to that uh, Sun Devils offense. Yeah. A couple more, uh, a little bit Locally, Michigan State, I think that that offense can't get any worse. So uh, the law of averages is going to say that they're going to get better. Um, And I mean better as in, you know, better than just the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Um, The big question is which Brian Lewerke is going to show up. Is it going to be the the big time quarterback that we saw in his first two years? Or is it going to be more of the same from last year? Because if he doesn't step up, um, and he doesn't step up early, I think it's time to go to Theo Day at quarterback. I don't know that Rocky Lombardi is your answer, uh, but they do have skilled players uh, at receiver. I think Ladarius Jefferson is going to be a good running back, um, a converted quarterback. He was kind of getting his feet wet last year. I don't think they used him well. And I know that the big thing that Spartan fans are going to be thrown out at us is there was no change in the coaching staff. Uh, he kind of just – took a bunch of um, rotten apples and just rearranged them and um, spray painted them white and said, okay, they're still good. So uh, we'll see how those changes map out. But I, I have to go with D'Antonio. He's too good of a coach to um, just kind of be complacent and be that blindly loyal. I think that there will be some method to his madness. Um, and he knows that he's going to be, under the gun a little bit more this year. So I think offensively they'll be better. And that defense brings back a lot. Kenny Willickus, I was really surprised he didn't go into the draft. He's the Big Ten's leading sack guy, um, along with Raekwon Williams on that defensive front. Joe Bacci at middle linebacker is one of the best in the conference, in my opinion. Uh, They need to bring up some guys in the secondary. But again, playing that non-conference season, I think that they'll be ready to go once they get into the heart of that Big Ten schedule. So keep an eye out for the Spartans. Yeah, and I feel good for uh, LJ Scott being able to start making some money professionally so we can pay for all those parking tickets. Yeah, and, uh, you know, considering um, I know he was on scholarship, but if he was not on scholarship for the last eight years he's been in East Lansing, the NFL paycheck hopefully can start to pay off those loans. Um, yeah, he started to collect NCAA Social Security. Right. <laughs> and then the last one uh, that I want to look at is Virginia Tech Hokies. Kind of similar to what you said about Florida State, maybe in just a slightly different realm. Virginia Tech was very young last year and defensively was kind of an anomaly, but they were playing a lot of young guys. Bud Foster, we know, can coach defense. Um, so their defensive line could be a little bit stronger. That's that's really going to be their weakness going into the season. But they return their leading tackler. They return uh, really all three linebackers that they use. And I know that they go with a four, two, five scheme, but sometimes they'll throw in that third linebacker because at heart, Bud Foster is a four, three guy, but in the secondary, two good corners, Caleb Farley and Bryce Watts um, on offense, they return pretty much all of their good receivers. Damon Hazleton, Trey Turner, Eric Kuma, Hezekiah Grimsley. Um, they bring back three offensive linemen and they really get two good quarterbacks back this year. Josh Jackson, who returns from injury. And I thought that Ryan Willis did a, an admirable job in relief when Jackson went down last year. 
Yeah, I was impressed by him when when I heard that uh, they were getting a, a transfer from Kansas to take over for uh, you know the the injured starter. I I, I had my doubts, but right. he looked uh, he's he's pretty mobile. He can move uh, in and out of the pocket, and he's got a pretty decent arm. So right. um, definitely a nice uh, quarterback competition that they'll have in the spring and fall to uh, have the best man win and and move forward towards uh, twenty nineteen. Yeah, and again they they play in in a manageable side of the ACC as well. They're right in there with Miami in that coastal division. Um, I just, uh, the defense is going to be better. They were 111th against the rush, 82nd against the pass, 85 in scoring defense. But again, they were young and you can bet that Bud Foster is going to be working their tails off from now and really from the end of that bowl loss against Cincinnati all the way up until they kick off in August. So look for the Hokies to be to be back and to be better. And you know that Justin Fuente is going to get that offense going again. So. Yep, agree with you. And those are, I mean, there there are other teams that we could throw in there, uh, but we wanted to kind of narrow it down to two or three teams on both sides that were too high and that were too low. Stay tuned to our, our next podcast coming up later in the week where Bip and I are going to give you our actual top 25. So instead of criticizing the other guys, we're going to throw out ours out there and, and give everyone else our vulnerability to see, you know, what we think and why we think it and, and openly welcome constructive criticism and, and blind hatred as well. So <laughs> we're going to finish off here with our all time movie roster. So what we looked at here is Bip and I going through all of the, the major football movies that hit the big screen that made IMDb's top 50 all time football movies, some of our personal favorites. And we went through each position group. And so we want to, uh, if this is a schoolyard pick, Bip and I are going to run down who's playing for us on offense, who's playing for us on defense, who are some special teams, who's our coaching staff, a little fun thing to do, and then scattered throughout our podcast between now and the kickoff in August, we're going to highlight some of those movies that these characters come from. So Bip, let's start with you. Let's go on the offensive side. Uh, give us the guys that you have at uh let's start with quarterback who do you have at quarterback if you could pick one guy who's the character that's on your team i almost went with steaming willie beeman but uh (laughs) instead i went with uh friday night lights the tv show and and went with vince howard um pretty similar type quarterbacks very mobile good arms but uh vince's better attitude was the difference for me on this one as he seems to be a lot more coachable than uh mr beeman was how about you chappy uh I'm going to go with a character from my favorite football movie of all time, and that's Sunshine Ronnie Bass from Remember the Titans. I like the fact that he's mobile. I like the fact that he can throw it on a dime. I will say he does not resemble Trevor Lawrence. So everybody who keeps tweeting out those (laughs) pictures, just stop it, okay? It's Mitch Kramer from Dazed and Confused. Let's just end the story there. (laughs) How about that running – (laughs) <laughs> How about at running back, Chappie? Who are the two guys that you uh, selected for your team? My two running backs are going to be, and this one, uh, it might be a cop-out pick because it was a real-life player, but Ernie Davis from The Express. Guy was great at Syracuse. Um, you know, he, uh, the fact that he excelled and succeeded amidst all that hatred and all that disgusting prejudice, uh, and he put up big-time numbers, um, I like uh, I like the Express in orange. And my other guy is Megget. I never really got a first name, but 
uh, played by Nelly in the newest version of The Longest Yard, starring Adam Sandler and Burt uh, Burt Reynolds. Yeah, you know, I've never seen either Longest Yard. That's uh, I need to sit down and get myself to watch both of those. Um, I've never seen the old one. For me, the newer one is pretty good. Um, if you like Adam Sandler, yeah. I know some people are turned off, but even if you don't, it's a pretty good football <laughs> movie nonetheless. Sure. For me, I went with uh, two kind of off-the-cuff ones. The first one was Demetrius D.H. Uh, from the ESPN TV show Playmakers. Not a lot of people saw this show, but it was fantastic. It kind of got the, – the plug was pulled because of uh, NFL pressure on ESPN because it was yeah. kind of too real. Right. Um, but uh, shout-out to that TV show. Anyone that, that is looking for uh, a nice TV show to have, unfortunately, it was only one season, but he was a first-round pick uh, rookie that took the league by storm uh, and played by <laughs> played by Omar Gooding, which anyone who's seen the show, and crazy kids, go and see the difference between DH and uh, Omar Gooding on that show, and you'll get quite a laugh. Yeah, uh, um, my other... Night and day. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, other thing back, I went with uh, Forrest Gump. Now, this one's kind of cheating because he was mainly just used on kickoffs, but, uh, you know, the fastest guy on the field, and, uh, you know, like he said, money wasn't an option after he invested in that uh, fruit company. So, you might be able to get him for cheap and uh, just hand him off the ball <laughs> watch the fireworks happen. Yeah. I don't know that I would trust him with an extensive playbook, but... Uh... <laughs> What about Bip? Who do you have as, as two receivers who you would flank on the outside? Wide receiver. Um, I went with uh, Featherstone from Necessary Roughness, and you might see some from uh, that movie on my list to, to come. Uh, hard to pick against that speed. Once he learned to catch, uh, he was tough to corral. My other one was uh, one game. He caught it in the final game of the year. So if you're willing to trade off eleven games of drops, then be my guest. <laughs> I'm going to go Al Davis and take his combine numbers and, and uh, bet on that potential. Okay. <laughs> My uh, other receiver, uh, Ricky Jarrett from the uh, HBO show Ballers, which, Chappie, I, I know you haven't seen that show yet, but definitely a recommended watch. It gets a lot of hate from, from people. I don't know why. I think it's entertaining. I think it's funny, and it's cool how they have so many uh, NFL players on there. It's actually played by Denzel Washington's son, um, okay. but uh, – the slot and uh, broke a lot of milestones playing for the Packers. So he got the nod as my number two receiver. Um, how about you? Who... I'll have to uh, maybe clear my web browser history after I search that up on Google. But <laughs> Right. How about you? Who's catching the ball for your team? Well, I, I went with um, – it was kind of a – it was hard for me to choose between these two guys. So I went with Flea Ward from the program over Rod Tidwell from Jerry Maguire, simply because okay. I do have a bias to the college game. And, and Flea Ward seemed to, uh, you know, he reminded me of a Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan. The guy just seemed to get up and downfield. He was Joe Kane's major target in that movie and just seemed mm-hmm. to be, you know, a touchdown maker. So I went with Flea Ward. And then my other one was Charlie Tweeter for two reasons. One, he was productive. Uh, he was a good possession receiver. But I liked his I liked his swagger that he brought. He kind of reminded me a little bit of a Vinny Sutherland, Flynn Nagel, um, Julian Edelman type <laughs> guy. He's, he would certainly fit in the Patriots system today. Yeah, he's probably described it. Probably described as sneaky fast. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on the offensive line, um, we uh, I went with uh, Jamal and Andre Jackson from the replacements, uh, Pro Bowl players that were. Uh, 
once they got traded, uh, they they fell apart apparently in that uh, awful movie, right. The Replacements. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> when they were, they were uh, a force to be reckoned with. And then I, I my third line when I went with Manu Manu from Necessary Roughness. Yes, um, Moen showed that he could protect the quarterback, and on that uh, fake field or that fake extra point, he showed great lateral quickness to uh, <laughs> protect Paul Blake. So. He, he got the nod for me. How about yeah, I've you? I've never seen a bowl of pudding move that fast. <laughs> uh, Mr. Blake, <laughs> Which, by the way, for those who have not seen Necessary Roughness, uh, Lake Manu Manu means runt of the litter. And here he was at 350 pounds. And by the way, uh, I, I looked it up. His name, his real name is actually Peter Tuiasasopo. So I'm wondering if he's any relation to the famed Tuiasasopo family from the Washington Huskies and uh, the Polynesians who, who uh, scattered through the Pac-12. That's what I was wondering too, because I also looked it up and, and saw that. But but then again, I, I'm not real up to speed on my Polynesian name, so it could be like Smith or Jackson for all <laughs> right, we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I went with uh, Lakey Manu Manu as well, and also his teammate Andre Krim. He just seemed, I mean, he was basically like a, a grad transfer. I think he was about 32 years old playing uh, left tackle. But you know, Sinbad, uh, they made him. They did a good job of making him look tough and look big and and bad in that movie. Um, so he was the second one. And uh, I'm going to go with uh, somebody that you're going to like, Stephen Mateus from Rudy. Um, very nice. He was a fictional character, but you know, once uh, once Rudy got in his grill and, and challenged him and called him out, he he really knew how to uh, plow the the defensive line, and and you can't go wrong with an offensive lineman from the Golden Dome. So I, I went with those three guys. Very nice. I will mention, by the way, to Rudy Zoltek from Little Giants, because anybody who can clear away for your running back by uh, breaking wind, you got to give him points. <laughs> right. So on the uh, defensive side of it, a um, couple defensive linemen that I had. Uh, first one I want to go with is Harlan Flattop Myers from Necessary Roughness. Is he's pretty much JJ Watt before JJ Watt. Um, the other one that I wanted to go with was uh, Julius Campbell from Remember the Titans. Uh, kind of the prototypical stand-up rush end before the position even existed. Right. Um, who, who did you have coming off the line? Um, I went with. Um... Julius Campbell also coming off the edge, um, kind of a, uh, you know, maybe somebody who you look at initially and you think, okay, um, he might be an athlete, but he's got a little bit of uh, a little bit of dog in him as well. And, and I like that about Julius Campbell, but you know, as we know, he's, he's a good guy as well. And then Ivory Christian from the Friday, Light, Friday night lights, the movie, um, he was mm-hmm. quiet, but uh, once he was unleashed, yeah, he uh, he he knew how to, to wreak havoc in that backfield. So if I want to up my sacks and tackle for lost numbers, I want Ivory coming off, uh, coming from the D line. For sure, linebacker. Um, I went with my MVP of the team, Bobby Boucher. Uh, <laughs> yes, best fictional football player of all time, both from a humor standpoint and just from a talent standpoint. Um, just a one-man wrecking crew. I mean, anyone that can take SCLSU from worst to first in one year is worth uh, picking. Oh my, um, <laughs> uh, my second one, I uh, went with uh, Gary Bertier from Remember the Titans. Yeah. Uh, you know, Outside of leadership qualities, I actually looked up um, his stats from 
his uh, last year of football before that tragic injury. And it included 142 tackles and 42 sacks while being named the National Prep uh, School Football Player of the Year, which I didn't know either one of those. But uh, 42 sacks is just an amazing total, especially for a linebacker. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, well, I, I agree with you on Bobby Boucher. You, I mean, you can build a defense around Bobby Boucher, especially, I mean, I don't know why LSU didn't recruit him harder, but wouldn't he be a great fit and, and bringing, um, bringing the, uh, the, the mumbles coach over with coach O on uh, LSU staff. Um, yeah, that's right. Fran, was that his name? <laughs> It's hard to understand. Farmer and a coach. Oh, exactly. Right. <laughs> Both have a, a stack full of marbles when they talk. So, um, right. so him and then uh, Gary Bertier was, was right on the top of my list, but I also like, I like having two good inside backers. And so I'm going to go with Alvin Mack from the program who was famous for the movie line. Let's put the women and children to bed and go looking for effing dinner. So, you know, he's a guy who just scares you looking across that line. And even though he got hurt during that season for, um, for his team, I, I like him and Bobby Boucher coming up the middle, especially that double a gap stunt. It's going to be tough for a center and guards to pick up and, and your quarterback's going to be on his back for most of the afternoon. Yeah, good points for sure. Uh, I almost forgot about uh, Mac and, you know, kind of remembered him in the back of my mind, but more so than anything, that line that you just delivered was uh, one of the best parts of the program. And, uh, and little known or maybe forgotten fact, he is the same guy who played Featherstone in Necessary Roughness. So he went from some bumbling oaf wide receiver who could run fast but was kind of a goofball um, to then playing this nasty junkyard dog middle linebacker. That's right. So, Forgot about that. Jolly <laughs> um, uh, clean guy in, in little big league on the baseball side too. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, defensive backs were were two of the was probably the toughest position group for me. Uh, the first one I went with was was Brian Chavez. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, I, I don't know if he's uh, if it's based off of a uh, true person or if it was actually, uh, um, you know, uh, a real person that played it. But based on the um, the movie and his character portrayal, uh, he combined leadership, athletic ability, and a lot of intelligence to be a staple in the secondary. So he got the nod for me. Second one I couldn't really think of, so I uh, went with Alan Bosley from uh, Remember the Titans. Right. Uh, just a nod. Just a nod to my wife because I'm sure she'd want uh, Ryan Gosling to be mentioned for any top sure, list. Sure, sure, yeah. He's so dreamy. <laughs> How about yeah? <laughs> How about you, Jeffy? Sometimes he he got beat like he stole something. So, um, you know, <laughs> and point that out for us. Which, by the way, I saw uh, some other publication put her as their top cheerleader. And uh, fast forwarding past the age of twelve, um, you know, she yeah, fill that in. <laughs> Um, right. Yeah. No kidding. I went with um, with two guys. One from maybe a movie that I don't know if you've seen because it was a little bit before. Well, it was before your time, three years before you were born. But Stefan Diordovic, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, it was basically Tom Cruise's character in All the Right Moves. It was a good movie um, back when Tom Pr- Cruise was a good actor and not a uh, Scientologist uh, crazy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, he uh, he did a good job locking down playing in a. Uh, coal mining Pennsylvania town where they produce some, some pretty good uh, football talent. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and my other one was Freddie Steinmark from My All American. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie bit, but it's the true story of the the kid who walked on, I think, at University of Texas, um, ended up getting uh, really sick. He had to have his legs amputated. Um, but Coach Daryl Royal basically said it was his favorite player ever, uh, which is saying something. I mean, Daryl Royal, for listeners who aren't sure who that is, one of the greatest coaches of all time, especially at the University of Texas. So I went with those two in the in the secondary. Sure. So uh, real quickly to touch upon the rest of our team here, uh, kicker, I went with uh, Lucy Draper from Necessary Roughness and similar with my reason, <laughs> similarly with my reason above for uh, Alan Bosley, I can't have any top list and not mention Kathy Ireland if I can help yeah, it. And, uh, um, and that, that shower scene was one to remember. Um, so, uh, <laughs> unfortunately it was, uh, it was in good taste, but uh, yeah, Lucy Draper, so right. Definitely for necessary roughness. <laughs> so, so I assume you had her too. Yeah, I did, and she's handling both kicking, punting. Yeah. She can, uh, she can do it all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, my uh, miscellaneous reserve, I had uh, Landry Lance Clark, uh, the jack of all trades, can play any position you ask him, albeit not very well, uh, including kicker. Um, just one of the easiest characters to root for, despite the murder charge that he ducked. Um, how about you? Who was your who was your reserve? Um, I I went with. Um... Eric Samurai Hansen from Necessary Roughness. He was the <laughs> linebacker who basically was using his martial arts skills to right. get around uh, blockers. He was just kind of a, a cool character um, and, and definitely somebody who is outside the box and off many people's radars. Um, and then um, who did you have for return specialist? I went with Forrest Gump simply because he was an All-American at kick returner and so good that, uh, you know, he went literally end zone to end zone and then out of the stadium. Yeah, I think I would probably double him, but if I had to uh, have a um, uh, clear distinction of, of duties between running back and return specialist, I might go with Darnell Jackson. I think I'm getting his name right from the program. Uh, Omar Epps' character. Um, had some trouble. Jefferson, thank you. Uh, had some problems with uh, fumbling the ball, but, um, you know, really uh, uh, a nightmare for teams when he did have the ball in sure. his hands. And just, just um, out there too, I, I also put down a special teamer, um, and that was Vince Papali from Invincible. I know that uh, we didn't really talk about that in our prep, but um, so if you don't have one, but you know Vince did a great job running downfield, and uh, I've really grown to like Mark Wahlberg as an actor, and, and he really played that off. True story, by the way, uh, the Vince Papali story, but uh, you know, kind of a cool thing that he did getting onto the Philadelphia Eagles as a special teamer. Yeah, yeah, I always like that movie, and and like you, I, I really enjoy Mark Wahlberg as as an actor, both uh, for serious roles and comedic yeah, roles. Sure. Um, so, head coach, I, I I wanted so badly to go with Eric Taylor, uh, but instead I went with uh, Tony D'Amato from um, uh, Any Given yeah. Sunday. Um, you know, Eric Taylor has everything that you want from a character based coach. Uh, but D'Amato's won a Super Bowl, and uh, Taylor seemed to be destined not to go any further than high school or small town college, both by his choice and family situation. So, D'Amato got, got the nod for okay. me. How about uh, you? Real quick before I get to mine, I, I want a question I want you to stew over, and if you can uh, answer it before we end here. 
feel free. But if not, if mm-hmm. you need to think about it, which college coach reminds you the most of Coach Eric Taylor? And I'll give you a hint. It's very close to where Eric Taylor would be. So think about that. If you, if you have an answer for me, let me sure. know. But uh, And I'll give you mine. But anyway, my head coach, I had to go with Herman Boone. And like I referenced Remember the Titans is my favorite football movie of all time. I just like what Herman Boone did to come into a situation where he was given no shot, no opportunity. He was given zero margin for error, and he did it, and he he did it flawlessly, and he made it work uh, integrating his players, integrating his staff, and kind of doing it all with people literally spitting in his face. Uh, I got to go with Herman Boone. I love his lines in there, okay, about the option where it's like Novocaine, just give it time. It always works. And he said, <laughs> you know, when people were asking him about, you know, why don't you respond to this? And he says, uh, I don't scratch unless it itches. So uh, I, I actually <laughs> abide by that kind of philosophy in my own personal life. So, but yeah, it was very hard for me not to go with Eric Taylor because I, you, you and I both think uh, high volumes about Friday Night Lights, that series. For sure. Um, assistant coach, real quick, uh, wanted to go off script a little bit and say uh, Johnny Moxon from Varsity Blues. Now, technically, he wasn't an assistant coach. However, he and Lance Harbor scripted that brilliant second half. And like many writers and, and folks on Twitter pointed out, Moxon and, and Harbor can be partially credited for the college football offensive landscape being the way it is today. Yeah, running that oop de oop uh so i feel like that kind of an offensive mind and that that uh you know front forward thinking um needs to be on any football staff that's a good point that's a good point um my assistant i went with uh defensive coordinator wally rigdorf from necessary roughness and again we're kind of seeing a pattern Mm -hmm. there's a lot of good characters from that movie but um he's just somebody (laughs) who i would enjoy having on my staff for comic relief and for his sarcasm, but also for his knowledge of the game as well and and his uh, ability to just tell it like it is and not cut any corners. So Robert Loggia playing Wally Rebarth. <laughs> and then uh, our, our last position, um, our other category, kind of a catch-all, I had uh, Chuck Niederman from Necessary Roughness, the uh, – a really good PA announcer that had lots of enthusiasm and, and mixed in a lot of humor too. So, and it, it's yet another example of how night and day the difference is between Rob Schneider in a supporting role versus Rob Schneider in a lead role. Yeah, right. <laughs> Rob Schneider. <laughs> uh, how about you? Who did you have in your, your catch-all category? Mine is the king of the slow clap, uh, which it almost looks like it's hurting him or like he's struggling to do it, but that's Fortune from Rudy. Um, <laughs> go ahead and watch that movie again. You almost want to help the guy out. He he seems to almost be missing his hands when he's clapping at the end when Rudy finally <laughs> makes his sack. But uh, I, I think that he's a great mentor, uh, you know, somebody that – uh, again, no nonsense, just uh, tells things like it is and, and can really do a lot for some of these misguided college athletes who, who just need a, a reality check from time to time. Yeah, when he's doing his clap, it almost looks like he's got uh, two magnets in his hands that are fighting each other <laughs> yeah. to be pushed together. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> kind of just, great lesson. You can get as close as you can. Yeah, but it always falls off to the side at some <laughs> point. <laughs> Well, like Athletic Tape, that's going to wrap it, ladies and gentlemen. So we want to thank all of you for listening, especially those of you who are back again after getting your taste earlier. This is episode seven, uh, really episode six. Episode one kind of got lost in translation. It was really more of a pilot episode. So uh, we're hoping that you're liking what you hear, and we strongly hope that you continue to subscribe, to listen, but also to spread the word and help us be heard. So our next episode, we're going to give you our top 25 to start next season. So we 
looked at the the teams that others thought were maybe uh, higher than what they should or lower than uh, what we thought they should be. But we're going to put our money where our mouth is and we're going to give you our top 25 on our next podcast and tell you which teams deserve to be and why they're there and why they th- why we think they should be there. So, uh, Biff, got anything else? Nope, that just about does it for me. This was a, a good one. I like uh, mixing in the um, on-the-field stuff with the off-the-cuff stuff. So, yeah. Um, till next time. <laughs> I'm Shappy. And I'm Bill. We thank you for listening. Peace. Peace.